0: Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSports.com. Again, it's uh, July 22nd, otherwise known as the day before the start of the final session of the July evaluation period, during which uh, college coaches and uh, college basketball writers, uh, not to mention agents and runners, travel the country to evaluate high school prospects. The whole thing's kind of strange, also fun. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas for the LeBron James Skills Academy. Last week in North Augusta for the UIBL finals at the peach jam later this week in fact tomorrow i'm going to be back in las vegas for a variety of summer events and i'll be joined on the road by my colleagues uh, jeff borzello and matt norlander both of whom uh, were also at the peach jam with me both of whom are here right now fellas are you enjoying your july evaluation period so far
1: I'm loving my July evaluation period. It's like my favorite month of the year.
0: Is it your my favorite month of the year? Well, hold on. Actually, my favorite
1: month of the year is probably like September when there's nothing to do.
0: I that's my mine is we get we get football and there's like not much yeah. to do. Like I I'm down with September.
1: Yeah, 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 let's do that. One. Let's let's call it September.
0: Norlander, what Norlander before we go further, I must know your favorite month of the year. <laughs>
2: well, uh First of all, um, I would, I think, dude, I mean, from a work perspective, it is September because love me some NFL. And September is our slowest month because October is when we do the preview stuff and when we really batten down the hatches. But overall, um, give me March. Sorry, dudes. That's, uh, Actually,
1: I, I kind of like November, too. November is, well, November like, is absolutely fantastic. Stars, football's in full swing, college
2: football, NBA. Something. Uh, from every, that that's when the best movies come out because they try and uh, the uh, best movies out near the end of the. I mean, from a from, you know, you get that uh, you get that apple cider season going on. I'm all about that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, what does it
0: say about me that I just as I'm thinking while you guys are talking, I'm like, you know, I really don't like any of the months.
2: That's <laughs> not surprising. I Hate every month. I hate I, all the months. I hate,
0: I hate the, the entire month. calendar. All, I hate the whole calendar. I hate all the months. I need to. Uh, I need to get on a different type of calendar. No, um, March is great uh, for obvious reasons. July. I don't know if it's my favorite month, but it is a, a busy month, and we, we do spend a lot of it on the road. It's one of those. It's an months- enjoyable busy month. It's an enjoyable busy month. It's one of those months where my uh, my luggage doesn't really leave my bedroom. Like I typically keep yes. my luggage in my attic upstairs, <laughs> and, and yet um, this month it's just I come in, I unpack, I leave my suitcase right where it is because I know I'm gonna repack it again, which is something I have to do later tonight because, I, like I said, we're going back uh, to Vegas tomorrow. We will all three uh, be there uh, getting into who who knows what, but also watching some of the very best, in fact, most of the very best uh, high school prospects in America. We're going to get to all that in just a moment, but first, we did have breaking news um, this morning. Emmanuel Moutier, the former SMU signee, who announced last week he was going to bypass, uh, presumably, one year in the American Athletic Conference to pursue a contract overseas. Um, now, he said that he just decided he wanted to take care of his mother, and I don't doubt that he wants to take care of his mother like anybody would want to take care of their mother, but the reality is he was, you know, multiple sources have told me, chased um, overseas uh, by eligibility concerns, both amateurism concerns and eligibility concerns. I was told... Uh, last week that the two years he spent at Prime Prep Academy in Dallas uh, were actually essentially a death knell to his eligibility because um, the NCAA to date has never accepted a class, a course, from Prime Prep in the spirit of trying to make somebody eligible initially. In other words, um, he had two years of academic work. Literally half of his high school work uh, was tied up in a school that had never been properly um accepted fully accepted by the ncaa so uh, i'm not saying he could not have done it i'm just saying the odds were genuinely and severely stacked against him and his people realized that um either way um all's well that ends well Uh, he just has agreed to a 1.2 million dollar one-year contract in uh china your thoughts matt norlander
2: oh man um I got a few of them. One, the money hasn't stopped rolling in. I mean, our friend Evan Daniels with with Scout, you know, he's reporting naturally. uh, This is only the start. He's in talks to get a shoe deal of some sort. So from Moutier, he goes honestly over the course of two and a half weeks of thinking that he's going to be playing college basketball at SMU and making no money to having his life completely turned upside down. He's going halfway across the world. It's going to be an interesting situation for him. Um, When something like this happens, I think it is natural for a lot of us to ponder if this will be the start of something. I remember when Brandon Jennings did this seven years ago, it was a pretty heavy topic of conversation if Brandon Jennings, by bypassing college... GP, you would remember more than I would on that situation because I hadn't really started to cover college hoops then. But I think the two situations are quite different. Obviously, what Jennings did did not really ignite any sort of trend. I hesitate to think that this will either. But, uh, you know, let's take note of the fact that we are closer now to the NBA, in my opinion, going to a minimum of a of a two-year um, separation from high school for players to, to be eligible to play in the NBA. I think that's going to happen in the next two or three years. There might be some sort of connectivity with that, Um, but I also think that when you're paying a kid like Moutier $1.2 million, it's because he's a 6'5", really athletic, talented point guard. You don't get a lot of those. I don't expect Chinese teams, European teams, to be offering more than a million per year to any high school player that's even top 20 to come out. You might get one a year in this kind of case, so I don't expect over the next five years there to be, you know, one or two Emmanuel Mudiays per year. But regardless, it's really interesting uh, to see how he thrives or doesn't. We'll see how he performs, and then obviously he's going to want to put his name into the uh, the draft pool next
1: year. Well, well the- I, t- I talked to uh, you know a couple of NBA scouts this morning, and they said that you know the Chinese league isn't great, but the expectations for American players is extremely high because each team can only have two Americans, and they all make around a million a year. So, you know, I, like you said, I don't think a Chinese team is going to take chances on too many. You know, just random high school kids that want to go pro for a year. I think they're going to have to you know, be the Emmanuel Moutier type of, type of guy that can carry a team and really earn that million dollars from a Chinese team.
0: I I think that's all true. To back up a little bit, the only similarity between the Brandon Jennings situation and the Emmanuel Moutier situation is that both were facing eligibility concerns. Uh, Brandon was not, uh, my understanding, and I remember this like at the time. You know, they act like, and Moutier's done the same thing. And listen, I don't blame them. Just so we're clear, if I were, you know, 18 years old and trying to, to frame a story, I might describe myself as a trailblazer or as someone who's fighting back against the NCAA or as someone who wants to take care of my family, um, rather than, than tell the truth. Um, so I'm not, I, you know, I'm not trying to like shame them. I'm just trying to make sure everybody understands what the truth is. The truth is Brandon Jennings was probably not going to be eligible at, I think he was committed to Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I remember hearing that at the time and you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Emmanuel Moutier, uh, was probably not going to be eligible at SMU. Now, um, I think the best case scenario is he could have fought it, really, really fought it, and it would have dragged into, you know, November, December. And then it it could have, you know, at the end of the day, just like what happened with Ennis Cantor, they said, nope, you're eligible permanently, forever, and always, you'll never play. Or at best, he could have got some, like, nine-game suspension or something like that for, for amateurism violations. Either way... Uh, This was not going to be simple. It is a fact that he was still not at the time he announced it through the eligibility center. And it is a fact that he was going to have to be viewed in an unprecedented way by the NCAA to get eligible. And here's why, for people who didn't read uh, the column I posted last Friday night. Jordan Mickey and Kaviyo Shepard both went to Prime Prep and graduated last year and enrolled at TCU, that's Shepard, and LSU, that's Mickey, uh, and were cleared for initial eligibility, and I think from that, because Prime Prep had been in the news before that for a variety of reasons, but I think because those two got eligible, uh, folks, even me, honestly, sort of took the leap and said, "Well, if they got eligible out of Prime Prep, then I guess you can get eligible out of Prime Prep." The truth is, and this is what I found out last week, is that Mickey and Shepard had went to Grace Prep for three years before they went to Prime Prep for one, and so. Before, uh, so they had done three years of schoolwork before they ever went to prime prep. So when the NCAA evaluates you for initial eligibility, um, there's a certain sort of number you have to hit and you can be eligible in terms of at the academic side of things. Now, I I don't know what the exact numbers are off the top of my head, but let's just for the sake of conversation say that the number's 20, whatever that means. The number's 20. And so if you hit 20 or 21 or 28, then you're you're cleared academically, no, no questions asked. But if you don't hit 20, as long as you hit like, say, 15, you reach what they call a a waiver threshold, which means you can then go in front of a committee and sort of make your case and say, okay, we don't have the 20, but we have enough... To, to reach the waiver threshold. And here's why we don't have the 20. So what Mickey and Shepard did last year, because they had done three years at Grace Prep, they met the waiver threshold, even though they didn't meet the actual uh, um, number for initial eligibility academically. But when they were able to go in front of the committee, they essentially were able to say, we thought Prime Prep was legit. We thought that our courses were count. We didn't know we were making a mistake. Please don't punish us for that. And the NCAA said, okay. They showed The NCAA showed... Um, Uh, some uh, common sense and said, okay, we're not going to ruin these kids' college careers because of adults running what a lot of people believe is a scam school. And so, yes, you get the waiver. The problem for Moutier is that he did two years at Grace Prep before doing two years at Prime Prep, And so half of his high school was done at a school that the NCAA doesn't currently recognize. They take every course on a case-by-case basis, and to date, they have never accepted one of the courses. So Moutier, because he did two years, didn't have enough coursework to meet the waiver threshold. In other words, he would never get to go in front of a committee. He would just have to submit his transcript as is. And again, unless the NCAA was willing to do something, it's never done, which is accept a course from Prime Prep. He was never going to be academically cleared. So I don't say all this to try to embarrass the kid, but when they make a point to come out and say they weren't, his brother did say this, we were not running from, we did not have any eligibility concerns, that simply
2: uh, is not true. It isn't true, and (laughs) I think that was the most surprising aspect to this story, is quite simply, people didn't realize that you know two things one because you're admitted into a school and you and you clear that bar it really has zero impact on whether you're going to play college sports you have to get through the NCAA's clearinghouse that is the big to do and it's what Moody couldn't do and obviously what Mickey and, and others have had problems with in the past but the fact that the NCAA had never recognized any sort of educational class to be uh to be good enough through its clearinghouse at prime prep was really what doom mudier um and he quite possibly you know went through this for two years not knowing uh pretty much everyone didn't realize until this was the case late in the process um, probably a good thing overall for the big picture when you're looking at any other i don't know like schools that are uh kind of venturing or might be floating in this kind of Really dangerous area. Um, now, Prime Prep could be some sort of aberration. Obviously, it's but there have been moves to shut its charter down, and it will be no more. But uh, but that to me was was pretty surprising. That could, it could even, I guess, get to that point of of being well-known, and obviously Deion Sanders' ties to it, I think were a huge factor in that. But, you know, you had some you know major D1 prospects attending this place, and it was able to kind of build itself on a, on a house of cards, so to speak, when really it had no standing with the NCAA whatsoever. For it to have gotten to that point, and yet at the same time, most everyone re- did not realize that it uh, was running up against a brick wall with the NCAA's clearinghouse, I think is, a, is kind of a startling and surprising issue.
0: Borzello, here's what's funny, is last Friday... Um, you know as i'm i you know you you talk to one person and this is uh, honestly one of the great one of the reasons that we do spend so much time on the road during the July evaluation period is you get into conversations with people you would never actually get into conversations with it's just sort of informal conversations and you hear something and then you bounce it off somebody else then you bounce it off somebody else then you bounce it off somebody else and suddenly you've got some you know what was uh you know very real and important news about about the Emmanuel Moutier situation and so somebody told me last Friday they said Dude, like forget like trying to get a source here or a source there. Call the eligibility center. Call them as if you're the parent of a recruit. Ask them about Prime Prep and get them to walk you through it. And so I did that. So I called the NCAA eligibility center. Got on hold just like anybody else would. And this 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 woman uh, took my call in the order that it was received, and she said um and I said, "Listen, I uh I have a son. He's a um, high school athlete." was thinking about transferring to prime prep and was just wanted to make sure it's 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 cool in your guys' eyes that, you know, if he does go on to be a division one student athlete, it won't be an issue, so on and so forth. This lady, now you have to understand what the eligibility center is. It's like, you know, 60, 70 people in there just basically running through transcripts. They're not all like, you know, in the know about, like they don't know who Emmanuel Moutier is necessarily, you know. And this woman that I was speaking to, she she fell into that category. She had never heard of prime prep. She did not, she wasn't familiar with, it was became very clear to me, she was completely unfamiliar with everything. And But, but she looked into her system. And she was reading everything to me about what it said. And basically it said this, this institution is still under review by the NCAA and every course will be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, which is sort of like, you know, a, a red flag. It says, like, we don't necessarily accept anything from this school. We'll look at it, but, but we won't necessarily accept it. And by the end of the conversation, this lady who enters this conversation completely blind to the scandals surrounding Prime Prep Just based off the information that was on her computer screen when I asked her to look it up, she made it very clear. I don't want to get her in any trouble. She said, I cannot give you any advice, and I cannot offer my opinion to you um, in any sort of formal way. That's not my job. But looking at what I'm looking at, if you have options, you should probably explore those options. In other words, like, what are you doing? Like, how could you go here? And I I thought that was really interesting that anybody – and by anybody, I mean any parent of any student-athlete at Prime Prep, took the time to make what was essentially a 15-minute phone call,
1: they would have been told the exact same thing I was told. It's weird because there's, there's one kid still at Prime Prep, Terrence Ferguson. I mean, there's a lot of kids still at Prime sure. Prep, but there's one kid, five-star kid in, in 2016, Terrence Ferguson. And when this news happened, uh, he said that he started there and he's going to finish there. And I know that there are some colleges recruiting him that are trying to get him out. Because they know that if he commits to their school, he's going to have trouble getting into school. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, this kid's going to have to leave prime prep at some point.
0: It's It, it would be, given what I know and given what I reported, which I know has been passed around in college basketball circles, um, it would be grossly irresponsible for any adult to leave someone who has Division One offers um, in that school. It would just be, yep. uh, it, it's just reckless and irresponsible. In fact, that's the one thing I heard from... Various coaches around the country, like why didn't SMU step in and get this get Moutier out of there? Why didn't Moutier's family step in and get him out of there? Borzello, do you have any sort of insight into that?
1: I honestly don't. You know, I I know that there's been talk about prime prep for for a while now. Elijah Thomas, um, another elite 2015 kid, he left uh, because of these worries. So you know, it's not like it, it was a surprise to really anybody involved. And you know, like you said, it's it's sort of irresponsible or, or just you know, something else that, that that they wouldn't try to get the kid out. You know, the parents or his parents or, or people involved in his recruitment wouldn't try to get him out because they saw this coming. And, uh, you know, they could deny it as much as they want now that it wasn't academics or clearinghouse or anything like that, and, you know, it seems like the jig is up. You know, people kind of realize now what's really been going on there, and, and I don't even know how much longer the school's going to be open. Yeah, no is,
0: Yeah, I was you know, told when I asked people, and I was like, I was asking other coaches, I was asking anybody who would know such things, I said, give me any reason that they would have left Moutier in there for a senior year at Prime Prep, given everything that had been reported about Prime Prep, and... You know, every coach said there is no good reason. Like, so, like, use your imagination. Like, you know, sort right. of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes, why, yes, yes. why would he have stayed at prime prep? Well, there's no good reason, so use your imagination.
2: Exactly. And as a quick side note, guys, I do wonder how this will impact. Uh, Larry Brown at SMU in the greater scheme uh, because, you know, part of uh, SMU recruiting Moutier not only was a talent, but Prime Prep has three campuses in the greater Dallas area. Obviously, SMU is located in that area as well. So it loses him. And then uh, earlier this week, uh, they lost a shooter named Matt McQuaid who who decommitted from SMU. So you know they got a big bump with the with the Larry Brown hire it was controversial last year. They had a really good year. They're still you know relevant, but they were the favorite heading into that conference going into the season. I still when think they, they thought- are. Different. Uh, they could be. It's 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 basically them or UConn. But regardless, um, not getting Moody, that would have been the the really big fish. Uh, I just wonder um, if that will have some sort of domino effect on on Larry Brown in the future. That's something we can uh Yeah, I don't, I, don't, when... I don't.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to affect the long term right. future of Larry Brown. Although, like in fairness, and I don't mean this as a joke, but like you know, what is the long term future of Larry Brown? Well, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. But but um, it it certainly. I mean, this was supposed to be when I wrote about it last week. Initially, like. I don't know if I use this term, but I certainly use it on radio somewhere. Um, this was supposed to be the year at SMU. Now, SMU doesn't have a proud history of, of, of basketball, um, but this was set up to be something, you know, possibly great. I mean, uh, Moody joining a veteran team that was pretty good, but not great last year. It doesn't quite line up perfectly because the Memphis team in the year before Derrick Rose actually went to the Elite Eight. And then they bring basically everybody back and add Derrick Rose, but this was like I, I, you could sort of connect the dots between it—a veteran team—and then throw in a truly transcendent, physically overwhelming point guard. I'm not right. saying that SMU was going to play for the national championship, but no. this, this could but have been—they been brought,
1: the, brought back basically a borderline NCAA tournament team and right. added the best guard in the country. Yeah, you know, it's a—it so, I mean, it was a team that could have made
2: you know, a final four. Yeah. Well, or or at least like a sweet 16 expectation. So, and when you make a sweet 16, that's, that's a huge deal, especially if you haven't gotten there in a while. That's really the threshold. If you get to that second weekend, uh, it's a really proud moment for schools that don't normally get there. Now there's just no guarantee SMU gets there. So it's, it's a, what could have been sure. for SMU? Uh, they could still get it. Don't get me wrong. You, you you get two hot games in March. You get there, you get there. But uh, with Moodyer they really had that, you know, Three seed capability, and I'm not sure if they're going to have that going forward. So it's just it's a, it's a what could have been possibly situation for there's Larry Brown, no
0: question, so. uh, no question. Let's get back to something you touched on earlier, uh, Norlander, which is, and, and then we'll move on to to more summer basketball related stuff. But um you know whether this like starts a trend, we always wonder. And I don't know about always, but we certainly did with the Brandon Jennings thing. Like, is this going to be the first of many? And obviously, it wasn't. Um, and so now we'll, you know, people are having the same conversation. My God, Moody got a $1.2 million contract in China to play one year, fully guaranteed. Uh, why wouldn't more guys do this? I, I think it's important to note that still, in the history of um, college basketball recruits, the, at least the elite level guys, uh, the only two people who have ever made this jump after graduating high school were both um, guys who were facing eligibility concerns. So the idea...
1: Was, was Jeremy Tyler facing any sort of... I mean, I know he left before his senior year of right. high school. But no,
0: I think he just, like, bounced. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, that's right. Uh, that's
1: kind of the vibe I got. Yeah, yeah well, that,
0: that, that's the reason I uh, preface it by saying after graduating high school. Tyler yeah. left before uh, he graduated high school. But I still think it's important to remember that, you know, uh, you know, the only guys who have done this haven't done it because they genuinely wanted to or it was their first option. They were motivated by other factors. Jennings and Moutier both by eligibility concerns, but I do wonder if, um, and, and honestly, I think that's probably the case going to remain the reality going forward. If you can go to college, go to college, do your year. But if you have eligibility concerns like Shabazz Muhammad did once upon a time, or Josh Selby did once upon a time, and the option is fight the NCAA and keep your fingers crossed or just bounce for a million dollar contract in China, um, then, then maybe you actually do that either way. Um, i i i wonder what i find interesting is that there's no evidence that that the overseas franchises are actually trying to recruit american high school players in other words brandon jennings had eligibility issues and then sonny vaccaro helped him find uh you know a a spot overseas uh manuel mudier had eligibility concerns and then agents helped him find a spot overseas um I wonder if we'll get to the point to where somebody connected to some franchise, whether it's in Europe and or China, will will say, "Hey, listen. Clearly, the um, there's there's elite level kids with eligibility concerns every year. Why don't we go pursue them as opposed to waiting to see if one of them falls to us?" Do you think that's possible?
1: I mean, I think it could be. There's actually it's actually funny. Me and uh, Sean Farnham were interviewing a, a high school kid in Atlanta last week, and. Uh We were just kind of talking in and Farnum brought up how Moier got a you know a seven figure deal or what was rumored to be a seven figure deal, and the kid didn't know about it and he's a he's a top ten kid, and then we asked you know what he ever think about it and once he found out that it was a seven figure deal, perhaps a shoe deal, you can almost see the wheels turning in his head and i don't I don't think that it's going to start some sort of big trend, but I think that you know I think you're right I think it's at some point someone's gonna say you know let's let's get a middleman between these elite high school kids and, pro, and and a pro team overseas. Let's see if we can maybe get one or two or three kids every year and really get this ball rolling because clearly it's it's attractive to some kids. And, um, you know, the talent's there. I don't think everyone's going to get a million-dollar deal. But I think, you know, the potential is there for a couple kids every class to make the move.
0: Norlander, but, um, what's to stop, you know, we, all, we know that – you know Chris Bosh is in China one week or Dwayne Wade's in China one week or LeBron or Kevin um yeah. you know the 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 shoe market in China is 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 a massive massive deal what's to stop Nike from sending a kid over every year or Under Armour from sending a kid over every year
1: like I think Under Armour does have like some sort of thing I know Steph Curry had some big thing in China right. so I, yeah I could see them like, what, involved, what,
0: so, yeah yeah like why would like I'm just starting to sort of think big picture here like if, you know why wouldn't Nike you know, Nike clearly has a motivator, a motivation to, to, to. I don't want to say place. I don't want to overstate it, but maybe influence in whatever way Nike possibly could uh, certain elite level kids to pick a Nike school like Carolina, Syracuse, Kentucky, Ohio State, whatever. Um, why wouldn't um, Why wouldn't Nike at some point go? Maybe it benefits us to to place a you know, a, a Ben Simmons or somebody like that in China for a year? Like, what's to keep Nike from exploring this more seriously?
2: Um, Good question. Uh, it might simply be whether that player – like, Moody, I feel like, was a, a relatively well-known commodity at this point. His story was pretty mainstream, and I think the only thing that would hesitate with that with them is, one, you got to convince the kid that that's what he should do. Sure. And then, is he a well-known – product over there that, that that could actually work I don't know the other by the way just a quick side note on this uh so this whole thing came down I mean Moudier got an agent and got this deal swung around this was like really fast I don't, I don't know who Moody's agent is I don't know if you know who it is GP but I just I was just thinking like this is actually pretty amazing how fast this all came together from him not being eligible and you writing on it basically the details of it last week and here we are on Tuesday and boom it's done Yeah, well, I think
0: honestly, it had been in the works a little bit behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but still, though, this um, it's let let me be clear. Everything I've said to point, let me make this point. Uh, Everything I said to this point, let me make this point clear. I'm happy for the kid. (laughs) Happy, like thrilled, like the like whatever your motivating uh, factor is for for actually pursuing this option. I'm glad that it worked out for him. I never doubted that he loves his mother. Never doubted that they have financial concerns. Uh, uh, you know, never doubted that he wanted to to try to alleviate some of that stuff. And so this deal, you know, makes that possible, clearly. And so I, I'm thrilled for for Emmanuel, personally, but also um, the idea that, that this could theoretically create options for high school players. I mean, we spend so much time talking about how the NCAA is a cartel and how they've essentially put um, you know, uh, limits on, on, on how student-athletes oftentimes, or at least sometimes, student-athletes who are worth literally millions of dollars put limits on how they can be compensated. If this creates an alternative to that, I'm all for it. And so um, you mentioned a moment ago, Norlander, that you, know, you would have to convince a kid going forward that this is, this is what he should do. Let me ask you this. Why isn't it what a kid should do? Because if you I think sometimes sports are interesting when you, when you remove the sports aspect from it and, and stop thinking about it in the way that we traditionally think about this stuff and apply it to real world, um, to a real world situation. In other words, let's say you were a journalism student and you had the option to go to journalism school for a year or take 1.2 million dollars and go to China and, and basically study journalism full time and not have to study other things that you're not interested in. We would all do it, right? I think everybody would do it. It would be a no-brainer. You would go, why would you go do something for free and, and take an English class and a history class and an algebra class on top of it when you can go over here, possibly get better training, certainly not have to deal with all the other academic stuff, and get $1.2 million. In real world terms, it's like a no-brainer. Like we would, but in basketball terms, it seems like it's a little more uh, of a conversation. Why, why wouldn't a kid
2: want to do this? All right, here, here are my... Here are my theories on it. One... They grow up for eight, nine, ten years playing with the same kids. They've got friends. They've got a social circle. They're going to leave that entirely. They're 18 years old. They're going halfway across the world. That is a huge culture shock. They often – let
0: me stop you. They often go halfway across the country and leave their friends anyway, and they bounce. They do. They do, <laughs> yeah. they
2: do, but they're still going to see a lot of those kids in the college atmosphere and environment, whether it's guys they played against that they're going to be part of the same recruiting class. They do, but I think it's just like you're totally going to somewhere where you're not going to know anyone. Plus, you've got the parent situation – maybe sometimes they're going to push back on that. Also, I would say that the overseas development culture hasn't proven to be better than what colleges can offer. I think that's a worthy debate to have. Why do you say that? And there's just no precedence. I'm not saying this can't work, but we just basically don't have a pool of 20 to 40 guys that have done this where they can look back and say, yeah, look at this guy, this this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. They all did it. They were successful. So it's just maybe a little bit of a hesitation to jump into it because ultimately, playing basketball in the United States of America is considered, uh, you know, rightfully so, top shelf. That's where I want to be. That's where most people are going to see me. They're going to know my name as opposed to going and playing in obscurity in China where you're going to make a lot of money, but you're not going to know anyone. They're not going to speak English there. And, you know, there's this, maybe there's this whole facet of I'm going Going there, when am I going to be promised to be able to return and play on the NBA stage? That's that's why I think we would push back on it. But well, I mean, think like, there's a decent like, chance it's going to happen. Going. Well, forward.
1: Brandon Jennings didn't do well over in Europe, but you know he came back and he, had, you know, he's averaging like you know eight assists and eighteen points, and he signed a multi million dollar shoe deal and he got paid while being over there instead of being in college. And you know, I think that. It's that shows you know you don't have to be great over there. You can still come back, enter the draft, and and still be a high pick, and only work out for you know top five teams if you want, or top ten teams uh, draft picks. So you don't you know reveal yourself or or expose yourself. To me, you know even if he he doesn't do great over there, I think he's still going to come back, still be a lottery pick, still get a multi-million dollar shoe deal, still be a good NBA player. Um, to me, the, I mean, I guess there is risk, but I think the risk is sort of overblown.
0: I told somebody this um, last week. Brandon Jennings is the best thing that ever happened to Emmanuel Mudiay. Here's why: yeah. if he go, if Mudiay goes to China and kills it, like he will, he'll be the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. If, oh, yeah. if he if he goes to ch- overseas and struggles, you know what people are going to say, right? Hey, hey, Brandon Jennings struggled too. Like right. it's, it does. Like it's a tough adjustment for a, a kid who was raised in America uh, to right. go overseas, play against grown men. Um, you know, just because Moutier struggled doesn't mean ha, – doesn't have anything to do with what he'll be in the NBA because Brandon Jennings struggled overseas and then came back home and, and killed it right from the start. And so okay. I, I think that actually is great for Moutier that Brandon Jennings struggled overseas and then flourished in the NBA um, because it's it's a built-in excuse, ready-made if you need it. And uh, I'm with Borzello. Like his his ceiling is the number one pick in the draft, and his floor – is um I don't know, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, like still he, somewhere in the mid lottery, yeah. Yeah, he ain't dropping far. I am interested, so Norlander you said just sort of in the in the um process of, of explaining why kids might be hesitant to do this, that overseas hasn't proved to be a, a good sort of training ground for NBA
2: players. Like yeah, the San Antonio well, no, I'm Spurs saying like, the San
0: Antonio Spurs disagree.
2: Right, right, right. No, no. I'm saying specifically if you look we don't have an adequate comparison of pool of players, where you look at what an 18-year-old in college would do compared to how he would do, you know, specifically with the Moody situation going to China, mm-hmm. and can that culture and situation develop? Fran Fraschilla expressed this kind of, I don't know, it's not a, con- I don't know if it's concerns the right word, but you know, in China, will they be able to? Get Moodyer to become the kind of player by April that he would have been being coached by Larry Brown. Ultimately, I don't know how much that's going to cost him in the draft. It probably ultimately won't cost him all that much unless he really does uh, not perform that well and he gets picked ninth instead of third, something like that. That's what I meant. Not in ter- obviously, there are plenty of overseas players who have who have flourished at the NBA scene after playing professionally from you know the age of 16 to 22 and ultimately getting drafted. So that's. A little bit different of a situation. my ultimate point was the college setup we have here has proven to be pretty successful uh and adequate with training. i you know guys know. I mean from the facilities, the coaches, the workouts, the regimens, what the you know now they're diets that they put these guys on. Clearly they're trying to be as first class as possible. Will he get that same sort of experience in China that he would hear? I think that's still up for debate.
0: I guess I would um I, I, I would say that Once, you know, I wrote this column a few weeks ago, you realize that 92% of top 10 prospects make it to the NBA. Literally 100% of top five prospects make it to the NBA. Um, What that suggests to me is that you don't have to go to North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, Indiana, or anywhere to get to the NBA if you were this level of recruit. If you're Emmanuel Moutier, you could play at SMU. You could play at Kentucky. You could play for John Calipari, Larry Brown. You could go to, um, you know, uh, Jackson State, uh, Arkansas Little Rock, um, you know uh, Cal Poly. Just it, keep
1: naming random schools. Yeah, it, it wouldn't matter.
0: Like <laughs> for a kid, like it, it might matter for Karis Lavert. It might matter for um, you know Nick Stauskas. But for a kid like Moutier, all the data suggests. Like people can say whatever they want, have the all these opinions about whatever. I'm just talking strictly in the numbers. What the data shows, if when you're when you're a prospect like Moutier, it it does not matter where you spend the year before you enter the NBA draft. Uh, you're Uh, going to be in the NBA, period, end of story. uh, Yep. Just just say
2: you're right. Hey, just
0: say you're you're right, Gary, and we'll move on. Both of you together. You're right, Gary. You're right, Gary. Okay, so we we, we spent last week at the Peach Jam. The week before that, Borzella and I were at the LeBron James Skills Academy. And then uh, a little later on this week, in fact, tomorrow, we'll both – all three be out in Vegas for – you know, the Fab 48, the Adidas Super 64, Hal Pastner's event. There's a whole bunch of stuff uh, going on. I, I will tell you that that last week we, we saw um, a variety of great prospects down at the Peach Jam. Everybody from uh, Ben Simmons to Ivan Rabb. Uh, the guy who blew me away more than any other by far, class of 2016 kid Malik Monk. Borzello. you've seen him more than I have, but uh, explain to me why he's not going to be a star. And I don't mean college star. I mean NBA star. He, he's he got, to me, he looked the part in a, in in every way imaginable.
1: I mean, I think he's going to be a star. He's going to be a college star. He's going to be a lottery pick. Uh, the only reason to me that he's not sort of a bigger contender for number one in the class is his inconsistency. And uh, Norland, I know you watched the game after he scored 40 points, and he was like 3 for 17. That's, That's sort terrible. of the issue with him. He, he mixes, like he had 59 points in a game uh, in Sacramento in April, but for that weekend, through four games, I think he only averaged like 22 points. And, you know, that's kind of alarming when you're scoring 60 points in one game. You're only averaging 20 in a, in a four games. So if he can, you know, get some consistency and, and um, you know, really kind of, I guess, harness all that excitement. To me, he's the most entertaining player in high school basketball. I don't think it's close. He
2: is, um, he is yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean well, he, he's going to be a, ma- a main attraction wherever he goes. I, you know, he's, I think he's, he's going to be a special player. Um, and, you know, the, his ceiling is ridiculously high, too.
2: GP and I sat next to Bill Self at his game Friday night, and it was just stupid how entertaining, athletic he he could be. Um, watching him job, there, man. it was it was unbelievable. Nice team nice,
1: nice drop. I hope you don't quote anything he says. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I think he uh, kept his mouth shut the whole time. Yeah, in fact, but um, regardless, he. Uh, he looks so different the next day. And Borzello had mentioned, like, Parrish and I saw him play, and then we went out that night. And yeah, I had to
1: keep down on you guys after you guys. No, saw
2: no, it's score? A, it's, a, it's okay. Um, and uh, and was like, he's good, but I'm telling you, he's really inconsistent. And then the next day, he looks no good. I mean, pressing, shooting terribly, had a few turnovers, was completely shut down. And it was uh, it was pretty stark, but his his good is so good. Um, his handles, his ability to drive, to jump, uh, to pass, it. he even he even had some good displays there. So he's definitely an enticing prospect. He'll, he'll get some of the biggest um, biggest offers from the biggest schools. But Ben Simmons looked like the best player. Borzello, I know you're huge on him. He is really good. He's getting Scottie Pippen comparisons, and I wanted to ask. I'm, Borzello really, really, that, I'm
1: really pushing if, that one. Yeah.
2: If but is it. What does that stem from? Because defensively, I mean, Pippen is one of the greatest ever. I'm not getting that kind of vibe from from Simmons in terms of pure defense. Overall, what do you think the Pippen comparison stem from?
1: His passing, his ball handling, his versatility. I mean, he's like six nine. Uh, you know, he can handle the ball. He's a point forward. He soars in the post. You know, and he's not a great shooter. Pippen wasn't a great shooter. Um, you know, at first either. And, I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be one of the 20 or 25 or whatever you rank Pippen as one of the greatest players in NBA history, but I think the skill set is similar. Defense, you know, you're right, it's not not there yet. He's not a lockdown defender, but I just think his versatility, and he's probably the best passer uh, in high school basketball. And for a 6'9 guy, um, it's just, it just doesn't happen very often. To me, I don't think there's any question that he's the number one player in 2015. I don't really think there should have been uh, much much of a debate going into this month, and I think he's really cemented his spot.
0: for people who don't know, uh, Ben Simmons is going to LSU because Johnny Jones, um, at least in part because Johnny Jones has hired his godfather to be on uh, staff there. So Ben Simmons will be uh, a senior in high school this upcoming year and then enroll at LSU for the 2015-16 season. Backing up to Malik Monk, Borzello, for people who don't know, he's the younger brother of Marcus Monk who played football and basketball at Arkansas once upon a time um the the family has moved to Bentonville uh, that's where the kid goes to high school now Marcus is a graduate assistant um on Mike Anderson's staff at Arkansas um clearly all the big boys are after him I think I saw last night uh, that uh Roy Williams called North from North Carolina, Carolina yeah. and offered Malik Monk um it, is there any scenario under which Arkansas lets this kid slip out of the state given everything that's in play there
1: I mean, I think there's a chance. I mean, when North Carolina and Kentucky's involved, obviously, I think there's always a chance that he's going to leave the state. But to me, this is a kid they cannot let. They can't lose him. You know, it's not like Arkansas going going to a ton of NCAA tournaments, and Mike Anderson's doing a you know a, a thirty win a year job there. He needs Marcus. I mean, Malik Monk to stay in state and go to Arkansas. It's just a, you know they have to do whatever it takes to get him. They can't let him leave uh, and go to especially a Kentucky or a Florida or, or in the conference rival. They have to keep him. Yeah. That's
0: all I got. <laughs> who else? Uh, who else stands out? So we we've seen Monk uh, Simmons was obviously
2: great. Um, Ivan
1: Rabb. Guys, did you guys see Jason Tatum?
2: Oh yeah, that dude. That kid looks awesome. I mean, twenty sixteen tall, guard athletic. Twenty sixteen, number one prospect point guard for twenty sixteen. He looked shooting guard, polished beyond belief.
1: Yeah, he's got like a pro skill set offensively. I think he's got the most advanced um, scoring arsenal uh, of any guard in the country, regardless of class. I think he's number one in, in 2016, and um, yeah, his recruitment wide open. But uh, I, I, he's he's special, and he was playing with 16s. Uh, he wasn't playing up with the 17s because his 17s team didn't make Peach Jam. But uh, you know, he was dominating, and he dominates against uh, 2015 kids too. So. I think it's clear he's number one in 2016.
2: There's a kid named um, Henry Ellenson who I saw sure.
1: play. Uh, you compare him to Dirk Nowitzki.
2: Did not compare him to Dirk Nowitzki, but unfortunately, the a number of coaches exact from you.
1: He's like Dirk Nowitzki. You
2: no, know, that's uh, that's completely erroneous. But uh, but good job there, Borzello. So I saw him play. A couple coaches did compare him to Nowitzki, which is completely unfair and really not that realistic. But he can pass the ball extremely well. The interesting thing with him is he's a 2015 kid. His brother was at Minnesota, decommitted, just went to Marquette. His brother will redshirt this upcoming season and be eligible, which would be Henry's freshman season. So will Marquette get uh, a five-star kid? He's a top-ten kid for next year. Really, I mean, 6'10 guy that was running the point. It was they was running ISO off the wings for him. Really strong player, really good passer. Uh, he's one that will... uh be interesting to track in terms of where he ends up because obviously a lot of big midwest schools are after him he's he's from uh i think he's from what northwest michigan somewhere he's up he's up in that area uh where his hometown is so there's a lot of big 10 schools after him him simmons and tatum were the ones that stood out to me more than any other players in terms of when i watched them uh and monk to a certain degree but i was kind of you know, dissuaded by Monk, given his performance the next day, but it was Henry Ellenson, Jason Tatum, and Ben Simmons were the ones when you watch them. Like, it was clear how different their games were from everyone else. But that said, I mean, Gary and Jeff, you guys saw a lot. Like, there's this kid, what, uh, Caleb Swannigan, who's a big house Swanigan, player, yeah. Swanigan. Um He's being recruited by a bunch of big boys. I mean, he's a huge dude, but uh, relatively in shape. Um, he's another one that stood out.
1: There were, one of the, I know the that best 2015's not a great I, class. Go ahead. The kid, Jalen Brown, he wasn't at Peach Jam. He was at the Under Armour's event in Atlanta. I saw him on uh, Thursday morning before I went to Peach Jam, and you know, he—I think he might be the best player in 2015 outside of Ben Simmons. He's, uh, you know, versatile offensive game. A lot of people compare him to Stanley Johnson, uh, the kid going to Arizona. I don't really see that, but um, you know, he's got Kentucky on him, and UCLA, and Kansas, and and even home state Georgia uh, is in the mix for him. But he he had one of the best performances I saw all week uh, down in Atlanta.
2: I just want to ask a quick question for you, Borzello. So, uh, sure. in your opinion, who are the top five 2015 kids? And Ben Simmons, I know you got as number one. He's committed to LSU. Are are the guys that you would have two, three, four, and five? Are they all still uncommitted?
1: Uh, let me think. I would go. I would go Simmons. I would go um, Jalen Brown, who's uncommitted. I would go. <laughs> I would have. I mean, Ivan Rabb's uncommitted. Malik Newman's uncommitted, Cech DiAllo's uncommitted, Diamond Stone's uncommitted. Like if anybody I would have in the top ten wow, or top okay. five is, is uncommitted, besides Ben Simmons. I mean, the, the next guy on the on the list that's committed is Ray Smith, and he's like a top twenty-ish kid. He's going to Arizona, but I mean, the the cream of the crop is still available. And Thon Maker and Josh Jackson, two top five kids in 2016, might reclassify. Both of them are also uncommitted. So there's still a lot of moving parts in the class.
0: Borzello, can Conzo Martin, in his first year at Cal, grab Ivan Rabb from Oakland?
1: I mean, they have a better shot than I thought they did uh, about two or three months ago. You know, they, they really made a a push for him as soon as he got hired. And, I mean, at, at the time, I thought it was somewhat unrealistic. I, you know, most people thought the Oakland Soldiers' connection to Arizona was going to, you know, put him, head him, bring him to Sean Miller. But Cal's made up a lot of ground, and I think they're kind of squarely in the mix for him right now.
0: All right. Well, I think we've done this long enough, particularly for a middle of July a day. So let's wrap this up. I appreciate you guys. Uh, uh, being here at cbsports.com, listening to the uh, podcast, reading what we write, interacting on Twitter, at least most of the time. Remember, you can subscribe to the i College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Uh, so make sure you do that. It's the quickest way to, to get your hands on the latest uh, podcast. So go, go subscribe over at iTunes because uh, it's free. And, uh, I would say we'll talk to you again really soon, but I'm not sure if that's true, but we'll talk to you really, <laughs> good. we'll talk to you, uh, again at some point. Uh, I promise that. Take care.